You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, you guys can have seats. All right, I know that y'all are out of school, but we're going back to school today. All right, so we got whiteboard. Does the whiteboard fit in the? Okay, good. It's in the, in the camera, so you guys in the balcony can see it. I figured that y'all were done with exams, but you really wanted to go back, right? So, so you're not quite out of school. We're gonna take a. We're gonna do a little bit of a little bit of math today. All right, a little math. Okay. Now, don't get too excited. I was a PE major, so we're not getting too complex. Okay. Um, so, but what we're going to do is we're going to work with some equations this morning, right? Going to work out some equations, some little math equations. We're going we're gonna to find the missing value, right? I don't know what that is. That's probably like pre-algebra. That's about as high as I go. So let me see how smart you guys are because a lot of you are like me. You went to public school. That's fine. Okay, so, okay, so we got one plus. Finding the missing value is, is you just finding what this is. So let's, let's see how smart you are. So one plus blank equals two. Yes, you're brilliant. You guys are phenomenal. All right, great. All right, so let's just, because it's easy, seven, that's a seven, plus equals, oh yeah, I know we're double digits here. Don't get scared. All right. What's, what? Man, y'all are great. Unbelievable. All right? You can work for NASA, all of you. Um, so, so the, the, the key for this equation is what? The, you have to find the missing value, right? And, and if you put the, if I put six in here, this equation doesn't work. If I put any other number but five, is that what we said it was? Five? Yeah, that's right. Five. Uh, it doesn't work. It does, the equation doesn't balance. It's, it doesn't function. All right? It's a little bit of what? Pre-algebra, geometry, whatever. Okay? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't really care. I'm just, it's for the sake of illustration. Today in our text, the Apostle Paul is going to do a little bit of spiritual algebra. And he's going to give us an equation, and he's going to help want us to find the missing value, right? And it's a value that's not only missing in the equation, it's a value that it's missing in some of your lives and in, and in my life. Um, and when we try to put the wrong value in this spot in our lives, the equation doesn't work. It doesn't balance out. It doesn't function. Or if we try to come up with our own little equation, Right, Because the reality is some of us are trying to put a wrong value in here, and others of us are trying to work from a different equation, and all that leads to is frustration and, and not where we want to go. And so we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says today as we do a little bit of spiritual algebra. All right? I know you're scared about that, but that's okay. So am I. All right? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, and Paul has been wrapping up this letter. we got one more week next week. Uh, this letter, and, and he's been dealing with all sorts of issues in the church in Ephesus. Remember, he had to leave, so he leaves his protege, Timothy, there. Timothy's a young buck. He's a little timid. He's country bumpkin in big city, Ephesus. And so he's got challenges. The biggest challenge he has is there's a bunch of false teachers who have crept in, who are sneaking in their doctrine, have let, led a lot of people astray. And so the number one thing that Paul's been dealing with is saying, hey, get, deal with these boys. Deal with these false teachers, right? Teach truth. And get rid of these, these false teachers. And so we even start off at the end. It says, teach and urge these things. How many times have we seen Paul telling Timothy, teach this, teach this, urge this, command this, do this, do this, do this. It, several times over. Deal with the error of these false teachers. All right? And the best way to deal with the error is to teach the truth. So again, he says, teach this, teach this, teach this. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, 
and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And just, just so you know, stop right there. Notice what Paul says. He says he puts his teaching on par with the words of the Lord Jesus. Right? See that? If anyone teaches a different doctrine, it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus. What Paul has been teaching is what Jesus was teaching. The very words of, of Paul and the rest of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, uh, Paul, uh, Jude, James, it, it, a lot of times you'll hear, well, that's what, Je- that's what Jesus says, this is what Paul says. No, no, no. You have to understand in the doctrine of inspiration, as we call it, that all scripture is breathed out by God. So yes, there's different human authors working here, but it's the same spirit that is moving these human authors. It's the spirit of Christ that is inspiring Paul, inspiring Matthew, inspiring Luke, inspiring John to write out God's word, God's revelation. So what Jesus says and what Paul says, they're both equal because they come from the same spirit, the spirit of Christ. So when he says, he's saying, if anyone doesn't agree with my teaching, which is in essence is Jesus' teaching, that, and Jesus' teaching leads to godliness, it leads back to him, he says he is puffed up. With conceit. Why? Because these guys are saying, well, yeah, that's what Jesus says, but here's what I say. Right? I know better than Jesus when he talks about money or marriage or whatever. He said, that's his arrogance. It's arrogance. He says, that, that's what they are. These people have an unhealthy craving for controversy. So if Jesus' teaching leads to godliness that the, the scripture gives equips for every good work, what is the fruit of these guys' teaching? Controversy, quarrels about words, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in truth. Godliness or all that stuff. He says, look at the fruit. So so deal with these things. And here's the big thing. Here's the big problem with these guys. Let's see if this eraser works. Yeah, it does. Good. They're dealing with a different equation. They're working with a different equation than Paul. Look at that last line. He says, they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. So here's the equation, these guys. We'll use G for godliness because I don't have time to spell it out, and I'll probably misspell it. Okay? So godliness for them equals gain. Right? That's their equation. That's what they believe. I.e., if they, they're doing all this spiritual stuff so that they can manipulate and get some do-re-mi. That's what they're doing. Right? They think that godliness is a way to make themselves better. Godliness is a way to earn more money. We see this on TV all the time, right? You turn on certain channels, and what you see is, if you send me your money, God will make you rich. Thinking, I am not a genius, but that math don't add up. Actually, if I send you my money, that makes you rich. Right? <laughs> now, that, I may be a PE major, but that works. And it's beyond just that, though. It's, it, it goes into things like, well, if you get sick, all you have to do is believe, and if you believe enough, you'll be healthy. And if you don't believe enough, that it, the reason you're still sick is that you didn't have enough faith, which I cannot think of a crueler thing to tell someone who's got a sick child or a sick spouse that it's their kid's sick because, you know what, you didn't believe enough, right? But it's, it's rooted in this godliness equals gain. Godliness equals prosperity, Right? That's, that's the idea. And most of us are smart enough, we're like, no, 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 I don't buy that. I ain't sending you my money. But here's what we do buy. We buy a little bit lesser of this version, like godliness equals prosperity. Here's what we do. Well, if I do my quiet time, if I go to church, if I tithe, if I do all the right things that Christians should do, then God will make my life easy. 
right? So if I do all the right things, then I'll, have, I'll get married at the right time, and I'll get the right job, and I really won't ever have any struggles get sick, and my kids will turn out perfect because we went to church, and we sent them to camp, and we did all these things, and so we plug in this little godliness equals prosperity. It may not be money prosperity, but it will be, if I do my part, God has to do his part, and we do that all the time, and the problem with that is, what if you do your part, and you still can't have children? What if I do my part, high school student, and I don't get into Georgia? Like I really wanted to. What if I do my part, good little kid, good little teenager, good young college student, and I'm still not married and I'm, I really want to be? Or I don't get the promotion. Fill in the blank. What happens is, who do we get mad at? We get mad at God. Right? Because God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. I hold my end of the bargain. I, he didn't hold his end. And the problem is not with God. The problem is the equation's wrong. It's the wrong equation. Bad math. PE teacher math, right? Or we go to other equations. It's not in the text. We can learn as much from what Paul doesn't say and what he does say. So sometimes we may not believe this. This might not be our equation, but maybe it's godliness equals, and here's, this is real popular amongst young people in the church. Godliness equals poverty. This is, this is a theology that's running through the church right now. The more, the more poor you are, the more godly you are. So what you want to do is, not, is you never want to buy a new pair of jeans. You need to wear the same pair of jeans for like 20 years. Now, if you wear Wranglers, they'll last that long. You buy these new skinny jeans, they only last like a year. Okay, just tell you. So Levi's Wranglers, that's where you're at, right? It's a man's jeans. Anyway. But this, this is the idea. It's, it's oh, I got to drive a beat-up truck, and I got I to gotta look disheveled, and I never want to wear makeup, and I just want to look poor because that's holiness. That's true holiness. Right? I mean, why would you ever buy a car with heated seats? We live in Savannah, which is a good question. Why do we need that? But, right? I mean, I can't believe that you would take your family to Disney World. Don't you know that Disney World is so expensive and, and you could have given that money away and blah, 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 right? Because I'm so holy and I'm going to live in, in such an ascetic lifestyle. I'm going to be a monk. Right? And what you need to understand, that, that's, that's, that's kind of flowing through the church these days. And Colossians has a lot to say about that. Read Colossians 2, where Paul says, a lot of people say, don't drink, don't touch, don't this, don't that. He says, these things have an appearance of godliness, but have no value. No value when it comes to dealing with the flesh. When we'll see later in this text, God is not anti-stuff. God actually gives stuff for you to enjoy. But there's a way in which we manage that. So, so whether someone has a lot or a little, it doesn't make, it's a, that's a neutral deal. Godliness does not equal poverty. It's true that some people will be in poverty, and true some people will be rich, and that's God's deal. But it doesn't make you more or less to neutral. It's a wrong equation. And, and so and what's, what we're going to find out is there's a missing value here. It's not, it's, it, we're missing a whole value that we're going to talk about, that Paul's going to get to. And I, some of you are like, oh, I know what that is. I know what it is. It's, it's family. Godliness plus family is, is, is gain, right? Because we're Christians, right? And, and the family is a huge thing. And our country's family values are, are, are so bad. So if we have great families, and it is true that we want to have good families, and it's true that we want to be good parents and, and, and have teenagers who come to love Jesus and all these things. But, but what we've done in the church is we've made this our little idol. A good thing, idol in the church, 
that it beca- we, we, that's, family's everything. Family's, as long as we have great families, then we're, we're super great. But here's the problem. When your kids get to be teenagers, it blows everything up. It just does. Right? You can't, you can only do so much. And, and so what happens if this kid goes off here? God forbid, or this, it blows up this whole deal. Or you can put in anything. You put anything else. Here's another one in the church. And, and we wouldn't say this, but godliness plus success, right? Or uh, Successful, like my kid went to Princeton, or, uh, or I am now the CEO, or maybe it's even ministry success. Godliness plus ministry success equals great gain. And so we thought, oh, if I have a great ministry, I have a great community group. My community group's great. It's, we got 20 people. My Sunday school class is this. I'm in the mission field. I give this much to whatever. I mean, whatever it is, we're trying to put the wrong thing in here thinking we're going to get gain, just like these false teachers, right? And, so you go, and we do it all the time, you know, sports, money, whatever. And so what we're going to see is Paul's going to give us the right equation. He's going to give us good spiritual math. Let's look at what he says. I got like way too many things going on. I got my clicker, I got my pen, I don't even know what I'm going to do up here. All right, verse 6, here's your equation. Godliness, here's the contrast, but, circle that word if you're a circle in your Bible, but here's the real deal. Godliness, there's our G, what's our missing value? Here it is, plus contentment equals not just gain, what does he say? Great gain, double G. Anyone want great gain? I want great gain, right? I, I, personally, I'm not trying to be selfish, but... If, if he says, here's, here's how you get, get great gain, godliness with, that's a mathematical term, which means plus, contentment, so the missing value that so many people are, are missing is contentment. And it is the key, Paul says, to gr- not just gain, great gain. And so what we need to do, we need to define contentment. We talk about how to get it. And so, first of all, the idea of contentment is this. It literally, the term content in the Greek literally means self-sufficient. Now, when we hear self-sufficient, we're thinking, yeah, man, I don't need nothing. That's not the idea of the word. The idea of self-sufficiency is I'm good no matter what. I'm sufficient. I'm, I'm stable. Okay, so contentment is not, I know you see the 29-year-old dude living in his parents' basement, working 10 hours a week at the coffee shop, just enough to pay for his Xbox and his, and his latte. And you think, yeah, he's just content. No, he's just lazy. There is a difference. All right? That's not contentment. That's laziness. At the same time, just because you see this gal at the office and she's killing it and she's got ambition and she wants to move up the ladder and she's strong and she's working hard and she's taking at night classes MBA, we're saying, oh, she's not content. No. Just because you're ambitious and you want to do excellent and you're investing and you're doing all these, doesn't make you not content. There's a lot in the scripture about, we, we talk about working hard, being excellent, striving for these things. The, the, the saving is a good thing. All right, so, so don't think, you know, the, in these two extremes. The idea is that contentment does not have anything really to do with your circumstances. I've seen rich people who are not content. I've seen poor people who are not content. I've seen rich people who are content. I've seen poor people who are content. There's no, the circumstances don't dictate. It transcends that. Here's kind of the definition I gave you this a couple years ago when we did Philippians, three years ago. But here it is again. It's an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from 
Okay, here's where it transcends circumstances. Being right with God. Knowing that he is in control of all that happens. I.e., you're good no matter what. Doesn't mean you're thrilled that you're, you, know, you got some debt or you got some... You don't have to be like, yay, I don't have any money, yay. I'm not, we're not talking about that. It's not celebrating that, but it's content. I'm okay. I'm okay with where we're at in our marriage. I'm okay with where I'm at in my job. I'm okay that we don't have this and that. We're okay. And it is a, it is a missing value in the church, especially the Church of America. Right? But Paul says it's key if you want great gain. So the question for us is, how do we get it? That, right? How do I add this value to my equation? Because understand, it's not natural. Right? Just look at a four-year-old. It's contentment is not in your DNA. It is actually something Paul says in Philippians 4, I had to learn this. So the church has to learn this missing value. We need to constantly learn. He actually says, remember, he says, teach and urge these things. So it's something that we need to be taught. Okay, you hear me? So it's not something that's natural. It's something that you and I need to hear, learn, and be taught. So let me give you three areas, three ways in which Paul tries to get us there to start adding this, this value, this missing value to our lives. All right? Here, here's the next verse, verse, verse 7. Here's reason one. He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. In the Greek text, the first word is Nothing. Because it's emphatic. He's trying to bring attention to, you bring no thing. How much money did you bring into that into Candler Memorial or wherever when you were born? How much you like, hey, mama, here you go. This is for your trouble. You brought nothing. Right? He says, you're going to take the exact same amount when you die. You're going to take what? How much? Nothing. So his point is this, if you came with nothing and you're taking nothing, then all this area in the middle, why are you so worried about it? Because you can't take it with you. If Steve Jobs can't take nothing with him, then you can't either. It's just the way it is, right? It's just the way it is. And and one of the keys to contentment. Is, is getting that truth. I was, a couple weeks ago, went up to uh, Roswell, Georgia. My family history apparently is from Roswell, my dad's side of the family. So my dad, you know, being the family historian, took us, it was kind of depressing actually, took us to all these graveyards. And so we're walking around the graveyard, this is your great-grandfather, blah, 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 blah. And he's telling us all about it. They did this, they did this, they did this. But my family was pretty instrumental in the city of Roswell. So if you walk on Main Street in Roswell, there's two houses, two old houses. One of them is called the Fowler House. You've seen a little sign. It says, that is actually my family. My grandfather lived there when he was a kid. All right? And so, and then next door was this other house, and I forget the name of that one, but they were family members too. And I was thinking, well, why don't we still own the houses? Because now it's a law firm and a salon. My grandfather's in a salon. Okay, that's great. I was like, what, what happened? These houses are big money. This is right on Main Street. All right? Somewhere down the line, guess what? They sold them. All we got is a little plaque. And so, and then he takes us down to this other place. He takes us to this beautiful, these two, this big park like five minutes outside of Roswell. I mean, it's got these man-made lakes. It's on the mountain. There's these million-dollar lake houses all around this thing. He's like, you're great, 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 whatever. He, he owned this land, and he started. He built these two lakes in this little dam. And I'm like, well, why aren't we on this? Why isn't we own this right now? Because <laughs> this is like literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, we could all send our kids to college everywhere. He's like, well, they gave it away. They gave it away. 
Why? Here, that's the point. Whoever this dude was, bad businessman apparently, uh, gives all the family land away. Everyone else is building nice houses on it. We don't have nice houses, whatever. But the point is this. He didn't take it with him. The Fowler house is a salon. The lakes are not ours. Why? Can't take it with you. Right? And here, here's the first way we start building contentment. We start adding this value is that we start looking to eternity. Right? Can't take it with you. And so the idea is don't live, live as if this is all there is because it's not. It is a breath. It is a vapor. It is gone. Right? And no one in the end is on, on, in a hospital bed, in hospice, wondering, man, I should have painted the house red. I wish I would have bought the heated seats. Man, we needed them in Savannah. No one, when they're watching their loved ones struggle with Alzheimer's or dementia or cancer, is worried about, um, oh, man, you, you sure won that great title back in 72, Uncle Rico, right? No, no, oh, the yard, I need to take care of the yard. No one is thinking about, oh, I should have invested in, uh, you know, Apple when it was, no one is, no one is. And as long as we try to gain significance from stuff, what we drive, what club we're a part of, our house, our neighborhood, where my kids go to school, all the, when you try to get your ID there, it is like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. It will sustain for a moment, but in the end, it will actually devastate. It will actually hurt you. It will make it worse, right? It does not sustain. You search for those things, your identity, try to, try to gain something out of them, you will miss out on this. You're going to get something, but it's not going to be this. It's the equation. You can't change it. It only balances out if you keep the, the values where they are. And there's something about focusing on eternity and thinking about eternity that keeps everyone in perspective, right? Because well, the last thing, y'all, the last thing you want to do is get to the end. And you don't know when the end is. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 40 years. But the last thing you want to do is get there and think, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I mean, you ever had one of those what was I thinking moments? You have a yearbook at home, right? You ever open that yearbook, and, I, and you look, and you're like, well, who decided that butt cuts were good? I mean, really. Who decided that, you know, in the moment, I, you thought you were Rico Suave, Z Cavaricci, right? It was awesome. Guest jeans in the 80s, right? You know, turtleneck with a flannel over it. Yeah, it was great. And now you look back, you're like, what was I thinking? Right? But in the moment, it was the greatest thing ever. You don't want to get to the end and think, what was I thinking? And hear Jesus say, you fool, tonight your soul is, 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 is gone, is required of you. And what do you have? There's something about thinking about eternity. That's why the psalmist says, teach me to number my days. Teach me. So that I'm thinking about more than just this. It doesn't mean that stuff is bad. I'm not saying that. But it forces you in the moment to be thinking of something else. And this is why if you jump down to verse 17, he's going to kind of get very applicational to, to, to us. He says, as for the rich in this present age, you think, well, I'm not rich. If Paul walked in here this morning, he would say, every single one of you is rich. If he went to your house, if you looked in your fridge, he would say, you guys are rich. Compared to the rest of the world, compared to first century Palestine, loaded. 
So he says, here's the application. Don't be haughty and don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice again, it's not that God is down on stuff. It's not that God is, is down on you enjoying things. It says God actually gives. He richly provides so that you can enjoy it. But he says, do not set your hope on it. Don't, don't strive for that. Right? Because you're just going to get mad when you don't get it. God is not anti-stuff, and so don't get there. Even Ecclesiastes, it says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth. So who gives wealth? God gives wealth. So God is the one who ordains this, this person's going to have wealth and possessions and power. And so he says, everyone, he says, it's for enjoyment. Accept his lot, rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God. So if you're one of these kind of anti-anybody that has anything nice and you're mad about that because they drive or whatever, understand God is the one who gives these things. Now, they can worship them and do things, and that's a different issue, but God is the one who ordains good things. The problem is not the stuff. The problem is putting your hope in stuff. The problem is craving stuff. The problem is thinking that that is where it's all at. Instead of using your stuff for good, which is what he says to do. He says the rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So he's not down on stuff. He just says make sure you use your stuff to do good. And what happens? You store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation. Where does that kind of ring a bell, right? Does it sound a little bit like uh, Jesus who says, don't store up your treasure here, but store it up in heaven where there's no rust and no moths and no all. It doesn't go away. Right? Same thing as Jesus is saying. He's inviting you in on a little spiritual insider trading. Right? He's telling you, I got a guaranteed deal for you. Right? The way my mind works, and I kind of it's warped, I know, but I, I go back and think, man, I wish I would have bet all I had on the Eagles last season. Because I'm sure they were a long shot. Or like if you're a hockey fan. Any hockey fans in here? You got a couple Yankees? There we go. Okay, so you got the Las Vegas Golden Knights, right? 500 to 1 preseason that they would get to the Stanley Cup. Guess who's in the Stanley Cup? If I would have just bet $1,000 on the Las Vegas Golden Knights... I'd have a half a million dollars, and then I could go spend it on myself. That's how my warped mind thinks. So it's a bad illustration from that perspective. But the idea <laughs> is if I only knew that they were going to win, it's a guarantee. If I would have known Eagles were going to win, I would have bet everything on, on them in the beginning. And what Jesus is saying is you know who wins. I got an investment for you. It's not shady. It's not some, you know, pyramid scandal. It's a guaranteed investment. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in the kingdom. And this is, this is what God is saying. Hey, you want great gain? Invest in your time, your treasure, your talents, and those things which matter. And the two things that last, two things, people and the word of God. Want, you guys are going to get to heaven just because of what, what we were able to do as a church a couple weeks ago. And by the way, we actually, I told you I was wrong. We, I said we raised 102000 More money came in, so it was 118000 Okay, so we not only funded that project, but we put money towards another project that we had been with the Basota people. So, but you invested in the word of God, which the grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That is a good investment, right? That is a good, that's Intel at like $10 a share. That's big money in kingdom language. When you invest in people, in the gospel, in the word of God, it is an investment that will repay itself in spades in the kingdom, because those are things that last. The challenge for you, if you want to build contentment, is figure out how to use your time, treasure, talent. I can't tell you how to do that. You're going to have to figure that out. But you're going to have to be creative and think about it and do it. 
and thinking about eternity is the way, is the way that happens, right? It's, and it's a way to add this. When you're thinking about eternity, you're going to think, it doesn't matter what kind of house I live in. It doesn't matter what my, my salary is, what I drive. This is what matters. And it's a value, y'all, we need to start thinking about and adding, right? Because it leads to good gain. Here's another way he says, next verse, verse 8. If we have food and clothing with these, will we be content? The two essentials, right? Food and clothing. Let's do a little inventory. Everyone got clothes on? Seems like everyone is. I think we would have stopped you at the door if you're, if you're not. Ushers have a job here. No naked people. All right. So we got, check on the clothes piece. On the, on the food. You got, most of you, you, know, you look, you know, we look well fed. No one's, you know, emancipated. We're, we're, we're okay. He says, with that, it's enough. That's enough. Right? And, and one of the ways in which we build contentment, real simply, is we let enough be enough. That we add this value. Look, it's not, I'm not saying it is, it is not wrong to take a new job. It is not wrong for you to move. It is not wrong for you to strive and get the MBA. It is not wrong for you to buy a new car. No one, please don't hear that. If, you hear, if you're hearing that, it's because you want to hear it. It's not because I'm saying it. Right? But what is wrong is not having those things. It's having to have those things. Because then it owns you. You do not own it. And the secret, kind of the secret, young folks especially listen to this because older folks get it, is it will never be enough. And, and we know this because when we, got, we graduate college, you get that first job, and they say, you're going to be making $40,000 a year, and you're like, wow, I'm going to be loaded. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I might, I might go move to the Taj Mahal. That's how loaded I'm going to be. I don't even know. And then what happens, like six months later, you're like, man, I'm so thankful for my job. But if I just made 50 grand, that would be, like, amazing. Then you make 50 and then you'd be like, man, 50 is great. I would love, I mean, it would be awesome if we would just get to that 75 level. If we just get to that 75, then I would never need anything again. And we get to the 75. And then we're like, man, 125 sounds nice right now. And it's, I'm just telling you, it is never enough. It, it just will not be. Because it's just, you're, 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 because of your sin nature, you just hunger for more. Like, I, I, a lot of you grew up in the same generation as me. I'm a child of the 80s. We had, you know, I grew up on this, the video game system Atari. One stick, one orange button, a little space invader, right? Uh, we'd go outside and play all day. News came on twice a day, at 6 and at 11. That was it. Right, you wanted to go watch a movie? You would go down at the, the VCR store, and you'd put $75 down, and you'd it was a down payment for your movie. And you take this, the grainy movie home, you put it in the player, you watch it, you take it back, you get your $75. You listen to the radio if you want to listen to your favorite song. And remember this, you'd put the tape recorder, it connected to your radio, and as soon as your favorite song goes, you hit the record button, you'd miss the first four seconds. But you'd get it on there, and you'd have the DJ coming on at the end, and you're like, oh, don't talk during my song. And you'd make tapes like that. When we used the phone, we'd wrap it around, you know, you'd be your teenager in the, in the other room, the cord wrapped around, you know, you, you got busy signal, you'd be like, oh, get off the phone. There's no caller ID, no call waiting, right? I, there, all sorts of things. There was no remote control. Your kids were the remote control. You wanted to, you know, you wanted new clothes, you got the JCPenney catalog out, and you're like, oh, that looks good, and you order it, got there like four months later, Okay. <laughs> You wanted to, you know, there was no videos. You, you would sit around the TV and wait for Michael Jackson's Thriller to come on. 
and you would be like, okay, hey, everybody, it's on, come on, and you come on, and you'd be like, oh, that's amazing, and then you'd wait for another hour and a half until it came on again. And my point is this, we live in the most instant gratification, you want it now, you get it now, the most connected, the most, you know, wealthy, the most entertained, the most busy generation of ever, and the problem is we are more depressed than we ever have been, right? Christian counseling is like the number one growing ministry in the church and, and really in the culture. So, so what I'm, when my point is this, the American dream doesn't seem to work. It just, it doesn't seem to, to bring this. Is it great to have YouTube videos? Yes. Is it great to have instant movies and binge on Netflix? Not too much, but yeah, it's fun. But it doesn't seem to offer what it says it is offering, right? And I want you to deal with that. And I want us to recognize that this is the missing value. And if you think, well, because if you think if you could just change the circumstances, then everything will be all right, you're, you're missing the point. It's not the circumstances aren't the problem, it's the heart. And the problem with thinking, oh, if I get the, the leather interior, if I get the bigger house, the four, five, six bedroom, if I get the, the, the $25,000 raise, you think that that circumstances will change, but it won't because you have to take your heart into that circumstance. So it's going to be the same. So the heart needs the, the change, not, not the circumstances, right? You got to deal with the heart because there's going to be seasons of plenty and there's going to be seasons of, of not, not much. And we just need to learn to let enough be enough. You got food, you got clothes, it is enough. Because you ain't taking food or clothes with you when you go. Right? And, and so one of the ways to, to, to build this contentment when it comes to letting enough be enough is simply to be thankful. Right? You, want, you want to learn contentment? Then be thankful. Instead of thinking what you don't have, why don't you just be thankful for what you do? Here's the problem, we have social media now. And you get to see how nice everyone else's countertops are. And you get to see how good their, their Disney vacation, it didn't rain. And they used the fast pass. You know, I hate the fast pass people. You know, you, you pay extra. Right? And you get to see how wonderful everyone else's life is. And how yours doesn't match up. Right? So, so one thing, just kind of fight that is get off social media. Number two is be thankful for what you are and stop, it'll stop the comparison game. Stop, it stops it. I'm I got a house. People that don't have houses. You have air conditioning, most of you. You have jobs. Some of you, you got, your parents paid for college or you had the opportunity to go to college, you know, maybe paying for it, but I mean, there's, you've, you've eaten. You have friends. You have a church who cares for you and preaches you truth on a, on a weekly basis. You, we just need to learn thankful. You're alive. You know, one of the things I learned when I was walking through that Roswell Cemetery is people, man, this guy was like 11 years old when he died. You know, you see the dates? The average age of, of folks that were passing away back then was like 40. I'm like, man, I'm well, I'm, 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 I'll be an old man back then. You have life. You have opportunity. God's not done with you. We just want to be a thankful people. A thankful people or a, or a content people. A content people, great game. The value that we need to learn. Think about eternity. Let enough be enough, All right? One more, one more thing. Look at he says, verse six, nine. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And the, wor the word fall is actually in the present tense. 
So the idea is they keep falling. They keep falling. Those who want to be rich keep falling into temptation. And listen to the language. See if this is attractive to you. Because you're like, yeah, I want more. I want more. They, they just tell you, this, this is what it looks like. You fall into temptation. You fall into a snare. You fall into many senseless and harmless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Does that sound attractive to you? And then he explains, and he, and he uses a verse that, one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible, for the love of money is at root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil, does he? No, he doesn't say the love of money. I mean, he doesn't say money. He says the love of money. It's a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving some have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, does that sound attractive to anybody? It's, it's not. And again, it's not, it's not having money, it's not being blessed, that God gives you a good job, a good generous, whatever, inheritance. Because sometimes you drive by a big house and, you know, and, oh, that person just loves, they just must love money. Maybe you love money and you're just jealous. Maybe they don't love money. Maybe they gave 20 grand to the seed company last week and you don't know it. Because they're super generous. You have no clue and it's not your business. You deal with you, right? God will deal with them. But, but that's the idea. Snares. And here's, so the last thing is this. How do we, how do we learn contentment? It's just learn from the examples that, that Paul is giving. Learn from, from what's gone before. You know that 70% of lottery winners are bankrupt within three to four years? 70%. I've read articles about cousins coming and shooting them. So the lottery is a dangerous thing to win. All right? I mean, it's, it's, or any kind of windfall of money, within three to four years, people are bankrupt, right? Because it is a snare. Let me give you some, some ways it's a snare, all right, that, to us, to love money. It can cause you to work too much and ignore your family. Huge snare, right? It can bring anxiety and stress that you're living for that next big break, that all life has to be on hold until you just get over this hump. Snare. You can't have any fun outside of work. You can't take time off or go on a vacation because this energy that, that I need, I need to pour this energy into work, and if I divert it over here to Disney, then I'll be wasting, and I got to do this, right? It's a snare. You can't celebrate when other people uh, get into the college they wanted and you didn't, or they get a new car, or they get a new job. You can't celebrate because you're all burned up with envy. Snare. It's a temptation for you maybe to take too many risks, to get too much debt or to leverage yourself too far because you just want to get that next break. Makes you lie and steal to get ahead. Bend the rules. How many families have been destroyed because grandma left them $250,000 and the cousins are fighting over it? Right? Someone gets shot out back. Over 20 grand. Stress over debt. We had to do this and we had to do that, and now I'm paying $400 a month just in interest on my credit cards, let alone the $50 towards principal. And we can't sleep and we can't eat because we had to have this the instant gratification. Or even worse, is maybe we do get that which we wanted so much, so that now we're, now we're comfortable and we're this and that, and we no longer see our need for God and we become haughty and arrogant. And we walk away, wander from the faith. I know that in our, in our minds, we're thinking, I know it's a temptation and it's bad, but I think I can handle it. Just let me try for a year. Then I'll, I'll determine that. That's what we think. That's what I think. But we got to learn from the example. 
and learn from others and learn from what the Apostle Paul, ultimately the Lord Jesus is saying, y'all, it's dangerous. The love of money, the striving of stuff, right? It, it feels like it will, but it will not lead to that. It can't, right? It can't. So for us, it's just a value we need to learn. Looking to eternity, letting enough be enough, learning from others. And ultimately, here, here's, here's where we land, and here's, we'll, we'll move to worship with this. The, on, the only ultimate way to this and to this is, is Christ. Because we've got a lot of people here, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know, you know, teenagers, you're being brought by your parents, and so you're, you're, you know, you're sitting here nicely, and you're, you're laughing at my jokes, and I appreciate that. But I don't know if you really are believing this or you're thinking, yeah, but when I get out on my own, I'll just do my thing and that'll make me happy. I don't know if you're the, the 47-year-old couple and you're like, yeah, I, I kind of want to do the church scene to get my kids some good moral deal, but I don't really know because we want to do this and we have plans for our own life. I don't know where you're at, but here's what, here's what I know the scripture teaches, that contentment ultimately comes through Christ. And so Paul in Philippians 4, when he's closing out that letter He's thanking that church because they've sent him some money to meet him in his need while he's in prison. He says this, I, I, I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking, he's thanking me, he said, not that I'm speaking and being of need. He said, I appreciate your gift. Ultimately, I didn't need it, but I am so thankful because why doesn't he need it? He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we use that verse to like say, you can do it, Bill. You can dunk a basketball. You can do all things through. I cannot dunk a basketball. Not until eternity. And then in the kingdom, when I have my perfect body that's 6'5", I will be able to do that. But not now. It's not a verse that tells you you can do whatever you want in Jesus' name. The point, the, the context is contentment. I can be rich. I can be poor. I can be weak, I can be strong. And Paul has been all. He says, I can do all of it, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. The key to contentment is not your circumstances. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ and a trust that he is in control. And if you don't have that this morning, we would love to talk to you about it. Fill out a connect card, say, I'd love to talk about a relationship with Christ. I want to know more about Jesus. Our prayer team will be in the hallway behind us after service. If you want them to pray, you want to talk with them. Uh, you, you want to meet with, with someone, they're back there. They got lanyards. What color is your lanyard, Travis? Blue? It's a blue lanyard, yes. Blue for the Phillies, right? Okay, good. Just kidding. That's the key. And so we want you to know Christ. We want to be a church that's content, y'all. Right? We we're bombarded with things everywhere, every day. Um, we want to be content. And so just as we move to worship, just a couple questions to ask yourself. What, where are you not content? In your marital status, in your, uh, you know, your job, in your, you know, in your finances, in your fertility, in your career? And, and, and the, deal with the heart issue there. Because the circumstances are going to change, but it's the heart, ultimately all those applications, it's a heart issue. Where's the stressor in your life that's bringing anxiety and lack of trust? Where's that desire? Is it because daddy wants you to succeed and so you feel like you got to meet up to his standards or maybe you came from this standard of living and you're like, I have to keep up with that or maybe you were so poor growing up, you're like, I'm never going back to that. Where's the stressor? Where's the pressure? Or even, how are you handling the comparison game? That's a tough one, right? That's a tough one. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to read 
part of a prayer that I read this morning by God's providence. I kind of read this every Sunday morning getting ready for sermon. I thought it was very appropriate for this morning. So let me, let me read this from Valley of Vision. Why don't you guys stand and, and we'll worship. This will just be our closing prayer. The writer says, turn my heart from vanity, from dissatisfaction, from uncertainties of this present state to an eternal interest in Christ. Let me remember that life is short and unforeseen and is only an opportunity for usefulness. Give me a holy avarice to redeem the time, to awake at every call to charity and piety, so that I may feed the hungry, clothe the naked, instruct the ignorant, reclaim the vicious, forgive the offender, diffuse the gospel, show neighborly love to all. Let me live a life of self-distrust, dependence on you, mortification, crucifixion, and prayer.